1: Boom, we're on. Today's guest we've got a guest from London. Paul Hanniford, how are you, brother? Yeah, very well, thank you. First of all, it's good to have you on the show. Thanks for asking me. Um yeah. you've had a very colourful past also. Um drug abuse, many prisons, but to now you've spoken to over half a million kids to help them not make the same mistakes you've made to educate them and to give them a better life. Um you've been in young offenders' institutes, uh-huh. you've done a lot of time, basically. Uh-huh. Um you Had addiction issues for how long, you know, 20 years, 20, 24 years? Yeah, a long time. Yeah. You're looking great, by the way. Yeah, do you know what?
0: As I said, earlier, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm not like an old bit of cheese. I think I'm maturing, I'm 51, 51 yeah. nearly. Yeah. yeah, but um, no, look, no, I just you know, just, you know I've been clean quite a few years now, and I just you know, I um, you know, I need to take care of myself. I mean, I've still got which we'll show you in a little while, horrific, horrific injuries from my past. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got blood clots in my legs I'm on loads of medication still so I have to be really careful you know how I um, yeah how, how I carry myself in life yeah. but do you know what you know I've got a fantastic job and, 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 and I'm grateful
1: yeah it's amazing mate And fair play Yeah, take my heart off to that's you it's okay because your eyes are clear everything's yeah. good you're feeling good Yeah, it's a good place to be in especially from ejecting heroin which and is crack, one of, yeah. yeah and all the stuff that to get to where you are it shows you a massive courage and strength that you're a fighter brother so it's good but We'll go right back to the start, Paul. Go on then. How it began and how your life started the way well, my, it was. Well,
0: my, 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 my first recognition of childhood I would have been, I don't know, eight, East London, Essex and then um, we lived in a place called Long Church and I remember always remember my, uh, you know, I was obsessed with my dad, all right? He was a thick set, cockney, black curly hair and, uh, you know, and he, he, if, if he went to work and I wasn't at school, I'd go work with him. You know, and he he, he likes to drink and he likes to smoke and you know I, mean, I just remember just you know being a good kid and nine and play football when to play for West Ham and I remember that I I was obsessed West Ham United and I remember in about when I got to about ten my mum and dad moved into a, a pub in Essex so I've gone from living in this house to this great big pub and it was fascinating it was full of the villains and all the ICF all the West Ham were in there and they used to take me on Saturdays to watch West Ham and um and yeah, I know what, I was sitting. I remember sitting on Saturdays or any afternoon in the pub, cause pubs used to shut then years ago. So you between two and four o'clock in London, I not about Scotland, pubs to shut for two and a half hours, mm-hmm. but I'd always going from school. Anyway, the weekends, I remember you see all the old villains turn up in their rollers, proper old gangsters. And they used to play this card game called Kaluki. So what they do is two packs of cards and it's like a board with matchsticks. I'm not sure about the game, how it worked, mm-hmm. but I should sit with all these villains on this big round table and i will be sitting there smoking their cigars. And I was like an errand boy. So what I had to do was, they would all the drinks. So I'd go up to the bar, get the drinks on the tray, and the bottles of light like ale and lager, what they should drink, Guinness, take it back to their tray and sit and watch. And at the end of the game, i will get treated. They'd all give me a pound. And it was like, you know, and I was fascinated. I was going buy cigarettes, and you know, that was my life. And then what I was, I noticed, I went to secondary school, and I still quite liked it. And somewhere along the line in secondary school, somewhere, Two years in, um, you know, we'd moved out of the pub by then and my mum and dad sort of split up and I remember getting involved with some boys one day, a little bit older than me. And I always liked the I was always attracted to sort of like I don't know what it was. Trouble trouble, trouble yeah, yeah. I like <laughs> I like you know, maybe the you know, it's just that it seemed quite attractive that yeah. you know, the boys that were quite lively, yeah. A little bit older than me, and I tried the cannabis, tried it. And it wasn't weed so much in it, it was like a resin. I tried Ash. it. Hatch, yeah, and do you know what? You know, uh, and, and within a few months, it got older me a little bit. I lost interest in school, didn't like it. Got chucked out of one, got chucked out of another. started robbing stuff from the school, and I suppose within the space of about twelve months, I uh, I was I was schoolless. So at this point now, um, should be year ten, I'm around fourteen, fifteen, and no other school in Essex was interested in me apart from one called a pupil referral unit, and they call them alternative provision. they got them all over the country now, but there wasn't that many then. And this one was called intermediate treatment. So I've turned out of this school, and there's like fifty boys now, all just like me, all been chucked out of mainstream school. So you imagine what it was like.
1: Yeah.
0: It was. Uh, it was like this. This. This gaff that there was no boundaries. We did what we wanted, and um, they used to take us on trips, and we uh, we was just egg right wherever we went, and they took us to a, a theme park one day. I can't remember where it was, Fort Park or something like that. And we got back to the minibus, and and uh, they'd left the keys in the bus. The staff. So we just fucked off in the, in the minibuses. All 15-year-olds going down the motorway. <laughs> and you got this driver, right? Like, yeah, one of, the, one of the boys in my school driving his minibus. Anyway, the police has come and, and they chucked us out. we got chucked out for it. But see all them boys that, that i got chucked out with, now I'm on the street with them. So I'm 15. We've got no school in. No school wants us. And we're all alcohol and cannabis dependent because now I'm out committing crime. So we're out, like, you know, thieving from shops every day. We planned to go out and rob. And it got to the point where, you know, I'm picking up convictions and I'm starting to get bored with a bit of weed. Now I'm taking things like lots of LSD, amphetamines. And do you know what? When I actually look back at the age of sort of 15, you know, I was probably an alcoholic. I couldn't stop drinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just alcohol, not just like your pint. I'm on about, you know, tenant supers
1: yeah. and kestrels
0: strong and stuff. really, really strong stuff, getting paralytic every night. Mm-hmm. Then obviously going around, getting nicked with a knife and we give ourselves some silly name, the East London Gang. And, uh, and as time went on, as time went on, um, you know, I was putting up convictions and I started drinking in pubs. So now you've got to remember, I'm 18 years of age now. And when I was a kid, I was immaculate. You know, 18 years of age, I am drinking in pubs, you know, and I had this full head of air and I used to put Brill cream in it. I used Brill cream it back. <laughs> and then, you know, but what happens is now the crime has changed. So now I'm drinking in pubs. So now I'm going to the pubs, I'm meeting these criminals, a bit older than me, and a lot of them were in the credit card fraud. So we started doing it. Now we got memories. When I'm going out of a credit card, I got to look like I've got a few quid, because I'm going out doing credit limits on people's cards. And the, so this 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 fellow drunk in his pub, he's he's his partner works for the post office. So he checked the credit cards. Cut the story short. So now obviously I need to look like I've got a few quid. So I'm going out immaculate every day. I'm living with my girlfriend at the time, Joanne, and um, and I'd go out and we'd do all the credit cards. Go back to the pub, and then I'd just get stoned and drunk every night. So at this point now I'm like 20 immaculate and you know up until that life was like all right really life was you know I was doing a prison sentence I doing my girlfriend and as I said I was as a kid I was immaculate I, I did big white teeth I had this great hair and I should brew cream it and I should think probably I was Bugsy Malone and that is my life now I'm drinking in this pub with villains so it took me back really to my childhood yeah when I was 10 so you're
1: not working for the villains you became I, a villain
0: I became I will like, not became a villain I was just fascinated with yeah. them. But I'm in an environment now. I'm 20 years of age. You know, I've just come out of my teens. I'm drinking in pubs with all these villains, well-known villains that have written books, and I'm fascinated with these men. You know, and once you get seen once with these men in a disco, you never queue up again. So I'm going out to the villains, and we're going to discos and, and certain bars where there's always queues at weekends. Then, once, obviously, the dawn recognized me, I'm taking my gang along, and so all the, they're just letting us straight in. It's like, great, my ego's gone through the roof, mm-hmm. hasn't it? And... uh at that point I'm a healthy young bright boy. Okay, I'm in this criminal environment. And then I remember one day, um, I went to this party one evening and this fella was there, I didn't know him very well, I got into the bedroom. Cut a long story short, they brought out this some tinfoil and I started smoking it. And I knew what it was. And I knew it was. it, was called heroin chasing a dragon. And believe me, I tell you what, Right, I, if you were if you mentioned the word heroin amongst that group of gang or the putters in, that you know, that it, they'd wanna like it was like the drug never, ever to take. And the reason that was, because I used to see heroin addicts where I live, and when I used to look at these guys, and we've got I'm 20, I'm 18 stone, I'm an immaculate kid, you know, I shower twice a day, brush my teeth three times a day, change my clothes twice a day, and I used to look at these guys, you know, in the street, and I think, oh, they're rotten. Yeah. You know, you knew they didn't wash. They were filthy, dirty, rotten teeth, inject with needles, and that, you know, that was just like a million miles away from me. Anyway, I don't know how it happened. I must have got drunk and I, and I and I, and I tried it. And you know, I remember sitting in this flat in East London thinking to myself, you know, what is this drug? Well, you know, it just I thought it was I thought it was heaven, you know, but little little I realise, you know, it was actually hell. Because I tell you what, afterwards, few you know, I started taking it again and again. Now I'm trying to hide it from me gang, I'm losing weight, you can't hide that. And then it got to the point where, you know, my girlfriend at home's noticing me losing weight. And i think it got to the point where within a year you know i'm no longer in the gang you know they dropped me out and do you know what it got to a point where i, was, <laughs> I remember walking past one of the bars and i lost five stone in 12 months that's how much weight I'd lost. i lost i'm walking past this bar one day you know near where i used to you know hang about with my gang and some of my gang members were in there and i walked past with this other drug addicts because i started hanging about with heroin addicts and all of a sudden they've come running out the bar And I remember the fella next to me, they absolutely beat him up, you know, really badly. And they were just frustrated and angry. They didn't touch me, just beat him up. Didn't know him, Mm -hmm. but just obviously so angry and frustrated that I'm no longer in the gang. I look unhealthy. So any airing addict, they sort of blamed them. It it wasn't their fault. It was, you know, everything I did was my fault, of course. And then I think within about a year, I um, I started injecting it. And then when I was a kid, you take me to the dentist. I ain't needles, I can't stand them. It's like, you can't put a needle near me. I promise you, now you can't. So what I started doing was I got props, this what I showed the kids in schools. I started using one of these. And then what you have to do is, you start, you put the hair in a spoon, you cook it up, and then, you, you obviously, most people inject in their arms with their hands, and as you can see, I've got no veins left in my hands, but that's where most people start injecting. And i tell you tell really painful, Then my arms, then my penis, my neck and legs and feet. So within like about a year and a half, I'm injecting every day. I'm out robbing every day, by the way. You know, the way I get my money at this point, I'm a bulk shoplifter. So I go to places like Harrods, House of Fraser Selfridges, Debenhams. And what I do is I pick up racks of stuff as much as possible and just walk out the door of it. And I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty brazen with it, yeah, and chemical, I got away with it for years. It like, yeah. yeah, I say, chemical, you know, and I got away with it, and then what I do, I people buying it off of me. So if I'm nicking around two grams of stuff a day, I sell it at 500, yeah. I spend all the money on drugs. But it got to the point, after about two years, I got into crack cocaine. Now, you know, I started smoking crack, and I normally do it on the pipe. And I was in some crack then one night, and I see a fella inject it. And I looked, and, you know, and I thought, I'll try it. And I worked out how to do it, and I put all syringe. But what happens is, you see, crack cocaine is cocaine bad, I washed up with a substance called ammonia. They call it free basing yeah. So the ammonia actually goes into the crack, but it draws out all the rubbish it's cut with. So you're left with pure hard cocaine. Most people smoke crack on the pipe, but I started injecting it. But the problem was, you know, it makes your veins go hard. And I was in a crack den one night. And I remember as I pulled that needle out my arm, that metal bit sort of bang snapped off. And I looked and I thought, fuck's sake, where's that gone? And I looked, just in my arm. So I see it. I just see the end of it. So I got this pair of old tweezers and I'm trying to dig it out and bang, it just popped right inside. So I moved my arm about and I thought, Do you know what? I'll leave it. I leave it. It didn't hurt me that much. And I remember about two, three days later, all of a sudden my arm started swelling up, so it must have got infected. So I remember <laughs> going to A and E and speaking to his doctor and he said, I have got a needle in my arm and he went, He looked at me, and he went, What? I said, Yeah, I've got a... he went, What happened? I said, well, I injected some crack and it he, he went, Why don't you come to the hospital straight away? I said, I to get money for drugs. Anyway, I cut off his short and he went, they operated. I woke up on the ward the next day after the operation, big scar there. And he comes to my bed the doctor and he looks at me, and he went, We better leave it in your arm. It's too dangerous to remove it because of tendons and nerves. It's still life. there now. Yeah, it's still there. I can feel it under the skin. And uh, and I remember this doctor looked at me and he went, listen to me. He said, if you don't stop injecting that drug, he said, you're going to die soon. And I think I looked at him and I said, you know what, doctor? I can't stop. You know, I just couldn't. I think I wanted to stop, to be honest. Yeah. You know, it got me. that much, that mm-hmm. drug. And then um, I worked out that all my veins were done except for two. In our body, we have a femoral artery that thick in our groin and it's about two inches long inside your leg. Well, I found out that needle was too small. It wouldn't reach. So what I had to do was I had to start using one of these. And that is, 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 is painful. Now, you've got to remember, at this point, right, I'm spending 500 pounds a day on drugs, minimum 400. I've got crack go robbing every day. I go back to a crack den at night, and I've got, like, 500 pounds of cracking heroin. Now, I'd get about 50 hits a night out of that. Now, you've got memories. I'm putting this needle in my body. Now, sometimes, you know, I've got one needle for the whole day because I ain't got to the chemist to get new needles. Yeah. So I've got to spend 50, I've got to, I've got to inject myself 50 times a day with that. After about 40 hits, it gets blunt and I have to sharpen it sometimes on the matchbox. So I'm digging it down through my groin. As I sort of rip it out, the blood literally squirts at the artery. And I remember I had to put pressure on it. Now, we have got memories, I've got no clean clothes. Right, I've got one set of clothes, that's what I live in. So, I'm now, you know, next morning I'm waking up in these crack dens, right? After injecting myself, no money, I'm starving, hungry, yeah, right? And then what happened was, obviously, this blood stained clothes, I've got to go out robbing. Then I started getting infections in my legs. And I remember all of a sudden I got this scab at the bottom of my leg one day, and I looked and I thought, what's that? So I sort of like picked it. And then a few days later, I got a blood clot, my leg blew up, and this scab, this little hole, got bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually, within about a year, I'll show you a picture here. My left leg, it got so bad to the fact where I um, I had to dress it with nappies. Because what happened was, the, the the blood coming out of every day was horrendous. So this is a picture of my... Uh, let's have a look. look here. I've got it here somewhere. i showed show this to the kids in schools, hopefully. It the shock. The drugs. Yeah, yeah the shock. So that was like my uh, my left leg there. Yeah. Yeah, just
1: put yeah. up to that camera. Put it up there. Yeah.
0: yeah. So that's my left leg. So that's for my left leg. The other side was down to the bone. This side on the outside was, was all... all and, it, and it stunk. Now, you have got members. This is this picture's in hospital when they cleaned it up with the maggots and that. So at this point now... I mean, my legs ain't healed up. I'll show you in a minute. So at this point now, you know, I'm 24 years of age. My legs are open down to the bone. I don't wash. My teeth are gone rotten. I don't eat. I'm living in cracked dens. And, you know... This stuff has gotten me so mm-hmm. bad, and I look back and I think, you know, well, wow, wham to that ten-year-old little boy that wanted to play for West Ham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is just the beginning, now you see. Yeah. Was your dad living at the time? No, my mum and dad split up by then. Mum and dad split up when I was pretty young. Um, but I was, there was no excuse though if I had one dad two dads or no dad to, yeah. to, to have that choice that day you got so it was
1: your role model, he, he was my role it. model
0: don't get me wrong my dad was my life when my dad sort of split up it was like yeah you know all of a sudden this man who's in my world which is God yeah. my dad was God he's not in it no more so I'm not saying I'm not pinpointing that and saying did that play a big part in me yeah because I still was
1: attracted to, you know... That lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen it in the But the, the shackles kind of come off. Yeah. The, the chains are free where you can yeah. experiment this kind of stuff. Yeah. And you're talking, what, the 80s? Yeah. So that stuff wasn't... Well, no,
0: it, it was, back, it was 90s 90s. I got 90s. So 90s, yeah.
1: So the thing is, what's crazy as well, Paul, is people with addictions, I've had many addictions yeah. myself, you kind of look down at people who take heroin. Yeah. But all addiction's the same. Massive. It's all the fucking yeah. same. But yeah. yeah, people who take heroin are crack... They're looked at differently. The thing yeah. with alcohol, gambling, coke, you can take it a lot longer than heroin without the without the effects showing. You can go a wee bit longer, you can hide from oh, those addictions. Look,
0: I'm trying to detox some coffee at a minute and find it hard work. It's caffeine, yeah? yeah. You know, a million coffee shops in yeah. the, you know, every corner, coffee mm-hmm. shop, coffee shop, you know, and uh, but what I'm trying to say, so now at this point I've got to look, right? I'm 24 years of age. You know, I should be in. I should be working. I should be having a life, and people are starting to suffer. Mm-hmm. People are starting to suffer now because you know this this illness I got. People are going to suffer as well. Let's start with my family. For one, my girlfriend Joanne. You know who I was with for years. You know she don't see me no more. My mum don't see me no more. In fact, my mum walked past me in the street one day. I remember I was in her town centre of Romford, and uh, I was obviously out of robbing some shop, and I walked past her and she walked round the corner. And she sort of. She looked at me, and made eye contact, and didn't recognise me. me. Because at this point now, at twenty-four, I've done like eight and a half stone. I am a bag of bones. You begging on the street as well? Not begging, no, just robbing, every day. Mm-hmm. A thief. You know, and that thief, out robbing every day, shop, shop, shops, all over the gaff. It
1: must have got more difficult though as your weight started to deteriorate, your health, your yeah. legs, because as soon as you walk into a shop. That's why more... I had to get in and get out. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I used to get mini cabs.
0: So I should jump in the cab. And, they sh- and I just go, right, let's go here, Lakeside Blue or wherever. And, I, you know, what you got remember, the gear I'm nicking is sold before I even stole it. So I've got orders. Mm-hmm. So I've got publicans. So I've got people and businesses, market traders. You know, people buying the gear off me, half a quarter, they sell it for half. So they're making the right few quid out of me. So you got members. you know, designer stuff always sold. Ralph Lauren, mini boss, Y3. So I was always, so i go over in a cab, park outside the door, creep in, long as the security guard out there, pick the rack up, yeah. go out, leave all the alarms on it, and I'm gone. And if they do see me on CCTV and then you know, by the time I get down to that door I'm halfway up the motorway so I'm done and I'm out of there mm. and, I was, and that was seven days a week how was that feeling when your mum walked past you what were you feeling do you know you what Right, like, yeah I felt embarrassed but not for long because I'd probably withdraw in that morning she'd see me and you know a little bit sensitive the next, so cut, I could, next hit bang on don't think about her and you know I didn't see her for years so, at this point now, what's happening is, I'm out, this is my life today. So, I'm at grafting every day, I'm at Robin right, every day. I'm living in Crackney's, and I could live in, I don't know, say I was down here at Cannon Street now, and I phoned up a dealer I was using, and he said, right, meet me at Cannon Street Station, right? So, I'd meet him. Now, you might get five other six addicts come along, because what probably a drug dealer does, he, he he makes you wait a little longer because he's waiting for other addicts to phone him. So, for him, it's less risk, more money at one point, you got me? He'd only be going all over the gang. If he wants to get as many addicts at one point, get their dough go. And then I could probably, if there's a crack den in this block of flats here, just say there was, and a guy meets me downstairs and he says, I'm an addict, and I'll go up east, and I'll stay there for a couple of days. Then I'll be off in East London. Then I'll be... So I can stay in, in the space of a month, I could be living 10 different crack dens. And at that point, I'm wearing the same clothes in that month. I'm not brushing my teeth in that month. I'm probably eating three meals a week in that month. You know, because once I've got my money, the last thing I want to do is eat or drink. I just want to spend every penny I've got on drugs. So I wake up in the morning, not only like, you know, real, really malnourished, I haven't eaten for days. You know, my legs stinks, so rotten flesh is infected, yeah? But I'm withdrawing from heroin. So my main fault in the morning, apart from all that, is this. That is my only fault. first thing. Got to get out and get some money.
1: That's chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. BGW group void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So then it got to the point where I was in and out of hospital, kept doing your prison sentence. Now, if I'm on this prison, I only went for shoplifting. So I even done a lot of sentences, 15 of them. That was only between three and six months because the most you can get for shoplifting is around nine months. Yeah. The average sentence is about three to six months. So I'm going to prisons all around London. So when you go into prison, they give you a detox. They give you methadone detox. So even though that three or six months I went into prison... Let's save my life because I won't get that in jail. You can't get big syringe needles, mm-hmm. you can't spend 500 pounds down drugs in jail. You got no money, the only money you get is from working. But even in jail, I was committing crime. Are you getting meth and jail? Got methadone, yeah, but only five days. I was climbing the walls. I've done a sentence three months, once half. Oh, I got six week sentence, and I promise you, that six week sentence I never slept once in six weeks because I'd been having sweats. such artificial sleep from the morphine, mm-hmm. which is heroin. And uh, you know, I remember being in jail, even I was even committing crime in prison. And not only petty crime, they used to give me a job in the kitchen in a place called Elmley, Isle of Sheppey. So I used to work in the kitchen, so as you go down in the morning, and you get a load of food, and that was method in my madness. You know, only grub, I love my mm. food. So I'm in the kitchen all day, and when you just come out, they used to search you, make sure you ain't got anything on you. But I remember on our wing, I was on the A or B, I can't remember what it was, they used to come across with a hot plate to collect all the food for our wing. So I knew all the boys that used to do the surgery. so I used to get big blocks of cheese. Right, for like, like ten pound lumps of cheese. Wrap it in loads of uh, tea towels and chuck it on our trolley. So when they go out, they don't search your trolley. The screws. Mm-hmm. And you just get back to the wing. And when I got back later on that afternoon, they just give me a big block of cheese, and I should chop it up and swap it for Mars bars and phone cards yeah. and all that. So I went from being a crackhead to a cheese dealer Half ounce of that you will be surprised. Yeah. Everything has a price in prison, uh, but everything. It's, it's
1: crazy though that uh, that mentality of thieving. <clears throat> there's always a way to make money you always find the method in your madness yeah, to is. get an earner to Especially in prison, survive
0: isn't it? everything has a price in prison yeah.
1: everything you mm-hmm. know
0: I will probably like a 10 pound bag of weed on the street mm-hmm. in jail which would a 100
1: you're lucky to, you're lucky to fucking be alive Paul
0: oh yeah it got worse do you know what I mean it got worse yeah as I said so now at this point you know my my, my this is my life right yeah wake up in the morning go out grafting thieving in minicabs and then now, what's happening is now, I'm well-known shoplifter, bulk shoplifter. There's pictures of me in Harrod Selfridges. In fact, my mate got nicked in Harrods. And he, got, he went up to the security room where they wait for the police to come and her. And there's all cameras in there. And then they had this ball on the wall of all the known shoplifters, yeah? like to look out for. Yeah. And he said, everyone's picture, there's 150 of them, was two by two. He said, you're almost 12 by 12. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and underneath yeah. it, he said, he said, I laughed. He said, I looked up and he said, this great big picture of just you. There's all these little other ones. He said, you know, be aware of Paul Hannaford, mm-hmm. yeah? Right? You know, be aware of it, Cause obviously he, I was mm-hmm. in and out, bang, done. Then he got hard work, my legs getting bad. It got to the point where, you know, I can't get out. The shops know me, my legs bad. And then it was like I was finding hard work to get the money. But I had to have it. So then obviously what happened was years and years ago when I was involved in gangs, I remember I had this old revolver, buried it many years ago, been on a fishing ship with my mum's, went round there, dug it up and I started robbing the dealers. Now you can only rob so many dealers, right? Yeah, it's not a great idea yeah. to do it. So at this point i had no bullets in the gun. I mean they didn't know that, you know. But at the point, obviously I'm running around there, my legs stinking, rotten flesh, and robbing the dealers. And it got to the point where one night where I'd got this bit of gear, went to his crack then, and for some reason, you know, it must have been, you know, robbed a dealer, and it was a big bag of gear, and I think what happened was, it was a block of heroin and little wraps. So what happens is, I think he must have bought that block to cut it up, mm-hmm. but I've robbed it off of him. I think it was, like, pure. So I've injected some, yeah, bang, next thing I know, I've I, I woke up with paramedics over me, in the back of an ambulance. And I fucking thought, what, you know, it's like... And then when I got to actually A&E... I was in a hospital gown and the doctor the paramedic told me that I'd overdosed and the guy in the crack den lucky enough there was another guy in there had called the ambulance because normally i brush off to McDonald's have a quick fix and go crack den but that night I went straight to a crack den and if i had gone gone McDonald's that night I'd have died there in that toilet. so when I got to A now I'm sitting there and about an hour later I've come around, I feel a bit better and apparently brought me back to life in the back of the ambulance with that machine and I remember the uh the doctor walked in, and uh, he, he started to, you know, he said, you're right? I said, yeah, Phil. I said, I'm going now. He went, you're not. You ain't going nowhere. He said, I'll give you a blood test when you come in. And he said, we just got the results back. He said, uh, you're in trouble. He said, if you leave this hospital, you'll be dead in four days. I went, why's that? He went, you've got pneumonia, you've got septicemia, and your haemoglobin, which I found later out, which is your blood." Have dropped so low
1: yeah.
0: and the infections in my leg. White blood cells weren't fighting them? Yeah, four four hemoglobin of four kills you apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a doctor, but I do know that if it drops under four, you're dead. And I was, you know, I'd smash myself so obese. Pneumonia would kill me. Yeah? The septicemia was gonna kill me. So the drugs weren't gonna kill me. But one of them three diseases I had, illnesses, was gonna kill me in a matter of days. And he looked at me, he said, listen to me, stand hospital, I'll give him methadone. I give a 100 million a day, which is to hold me. I mean, 100 million will kill an elephant. It's, it's a lot of methadone. And he says, you know, we, 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 four days' time, he said, we'll get you better. And what I do? Push him out of the way, grab my clothes and left. And the reason I'd left, because when I'd robbed that dealer and gone back to that crack then when I'd overdosed, I'd realised I'd left that drugs there. Yeah, he's going to find it, that crackhead, and sell it. <laughs> That's my stuff. Yeah, yeah. So i have rushed round there to get it, but on the way round there, I remember walking past this police station now, this police station, i have done some horrendous things to myself in there, you know, that dirty protest and things like that, and I was wanted. So at this point, I stood outside this police station with gaping big holes in my legs, you know, four days to live. Now, if I go to that crack then I will die there. There's enough drugs there to, to keep me there for four days, and I'll die there. The infection's going to kill me, and I'll die like a dog. And at that point... Somehow, something, amongst all my madness, I had a little bit of hope, courage, common sense, whatever it was, a little bit, enough, to drag me into that police station. And full well, I was gonna go through cold turkey, I was gonna get arrested, but there was an opportunity there to save my life. And something made me walk in, and do you know what, I remember it like yesterday, and i walked in there, I think I walked up to the desk, and they didn't like me very much the police, I didn't like them. <laughs> and, uh, and I think I broke down. I think I said three words, please help me, and, I was in a on the floor in a ball of tears. At that point, I was spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally broken, smashed to bits. So they did their job. They arrested me. They rushed me straight back to the hospital, and they watched me for four days. So all the doctors come down, and they uh, they put a great big CVP line. They call it that f- tube, that thick, with a needle on it. It goes down into it's a main vein in your body, all right? So they go down into your throat, and they put it down into your heart and they pull the needle out, the x-ray, because they could puncture a lung if they do it wrong. And then what they do is they put five stitches into your neck and they stitch the tube in and out of that tube comes three different tubes. So you've got one for giving blood, one for taking blood, one for antibiotics. So they're pumping me with antibiotics all day, pumping me with pints of blood just to get rid of the infection pneumonia. And then they put me some nebulizer. And then four days later, I'm better. And the doctor said, right, you know, we, we, we're satisfied now that he's okay. The pneumonia are gone, the infections are gone. And then I remember the police take me to court for theft, shopliftings. And I used to go, I used, when I used to get nicked, they used to throw 10 charges at me, all different shopliftings, put them into one. And they show me all the videos, the security kept, of me running out of the door, you know, I couldn't deny it. And they put them all into one. So they took me to court, but this time I'm in a wheelchair. But even though the infection's gone, my leg is rotten. It absolutely stinks, it's mm-hmm. infected. It's, I don't know about infection, but it's, it's bad. And I remember the judge looked at me and he went, you know, six months in prison. So I've done like many prison sentences. I end up in Chelmsford Prison, Essex. Now the first person you see, when you go into jail, the first person you see, you go through reception, you see a doctor, they chuck you in a wing. So they took me up to theater. I remember I'm sitting there thinking, this is it, man, they're gonna cut my leg off. And they handcuffed me, and all of a sudden, the anaesthetist has come along, and another doctor's come in, and they said, right, hold on a minute, he said, I've got, I've got an idea. He said, I'm gonna put maggots in your legs. So I thought, well, did I hear that right? He said, I'm gonna put maggots in your legs for four days. We put you in a ward, we put maggots in your legs. I said, what the maggot's going to do? is said, are going to eat away all the infected skin because your immune system is so smashed still. My hemoglobin went right that the antibiotics they were giving me weren't actually working. And he said, if that don't work, we cut your leg off. So all of a sudden, the next three or four hours, this quarry has turned up apparently. they get them from a special hospital and they had this, and a nurse come in, three nurses, because they were fascinated with it as well. And they put all these maggots, right, in this test tube and they poured them on my leg. And I remember they're tiny, they're little babies. when they wrap it in a bandage. After two or three days, the bandage comes alive. The maggots are chewing on my legs. And like I should wake up in the morning. They'll be wiggling past my face. And I'll be like, it's stunk. I'll show you a picture of that. And it's stunk. It's absolutely rotten. But you know what? After four days or five days, a maggot actually turned into a fly. And oh, if you know, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I timed it right. And oh, yeah. then when I opened it up, my leg was full of flies. So what I did was on day four, they took me down to the theatre. They washed all the maggots off, my legs. And yeah, that's the maggots there.
1: Yeah. Shit. We'll get all those pictures put That's up. That's right. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Do you know what? Maggots eat all the rotten skin, so all, uh, lucky enough. They saved a leg. I also had to have 20 operations though. 12 weeks I spent in that hospital, handcuffed to the prison bed. And then the prison guards would come in every eight hours. They put two new guards in. So I was having six guards a day watch me, which was costing the prison money. It was overtime, which obviously they liked. Mm-hmm. The cab fares to the prison from the hospital. And I was on this big, long chain called a closet chain. So the only way they'd take the, the handcuffs off if I was getting operated. So once I was asleep, they took the handcuffs off. Other than that, they'd come in the bath with me, the screws, toilet with me. There's no way, you know, I was handcuffed for three months. Constantly, Constantly handcuffed. Yeah, I had ulcers in my ass from lying in the bed all day. I had this big mark around my wrist, you know, while I was on handcuffs. But in that period, that 12 weeks in that hospital, I detoxed from the methadone. Um, they saved my leg. 20 operations, skin grafts, so I had 20 skin grafts. So my body kept rejecting the skin. So see, the body has to accept a certain amount of skin for it to grow, but mm-hmm. my body kept rejecting it. So I was down in the operating table all the time, all the time. And eventually the last operation it took, so it started to grow. So my leg was a little bit better. And I remember after I'm mean, all of a sudden this morning, this uh, this prison governor come up, a little, little guy. He went, right, take the handcuffs off. And he took the handcuffs off and he went, you're free. I went, what? He went, Yeah, you sell your prison sentence. We've got to let you go. So I got a six month sentence, so twelve weeks of it in a hospital bed. Mm-hmm. And they give me this uh, uh, discharge i to give you a bit of money, whatever else it is, and, and, and you know, I had hardly any property to be honest. And they walked off. And when the prison go, I said, Gov, listen, I ain't be found out, I ain't got nowhere to go. And he looked at me, he said, Well you don't have a any problem anymore. He walked out, the nurse came in, I was in a little side room at the time and she went, Well look, now you're not a prisoner,
1: you have to you have to leave. Were you clean then, Paul? Yeah, your I was clean. Yeah, yeah, I was so clean. I was, um,
0: you know, I'd done a detox in the hospital, yeah. methadone and that. Mm-hmm. I was on a bit of morphine for the pain in my legs. I was on that gas in there every day. You know, when I was doing the like, yeah. when I was changing the dressing on my leg, it was painful. They had to give me the morphine just to change the dressing. Mm-hmm. You know, because when they take the skin off of your other leg, you know, taking the dressing off. Anyway, cut the story short. She went, "You got to go." And 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 at that point, you know, my past life sort of smashed me in the face because I thought this is it. I like, had no home, no family, nothing. I had the clothes on my back, wired in the crack den. Mm-hmm. But now I'm clean, but I've still got nothing. where do I go? Back to that lifestyle? Now I've got a choice crack den or what would I do? You know, no one come to visit me. Mm-hmm. You can't blame them.
1: Yeah.
0: So eventually, anyway, I uh, heard about a place called a rehab in Somerset. And my, one of my pals was down there years ago. So I phoned him up and uh, he'd been clean. And he, I said, Is there a bed for me? He said, Yeah, there is, funny enough. He said, It's in a treatment centre. He said, it's like not the greatest treatment centre, but it worked for me. He said, uh, but you, you, there's not a bed for five days. I said, I ain't got five days. I said, the nurse wants me to leave now. He said, nothing I can do. He said, it's five days or nothing. So I thought, if I leave this hospital, I'll, I'll go back to crack then, I'll use. I just knew that that was an option, yeah. a massive option. So I called the nurse back in, I explained my situation and you know, I really got on with the staff and the nurses quite like me to be honest, you know. and I really got on with them and his sister, she went to me, do you know what? She goes, I'll give you a chance. She goes, you've got five days. And like it was such a relief. And I kept phoning up this rehab every day. You ready for me? You ready? In the end, the prison come back up because they had to give a travel warrant to get me to the venue, to get me to the rehab. Mm-hmm. So I remember they gave me this travel warrant and I turned up in Somerset, Western and Superman, this rehab, and I did all my leg bandages up and Larry's come and got me, took me to the rehab. And do you know what, I think for the first week, I just cried. I was in this rehab with all these other alcoholics and addicts and I kept going to the toilet. And I mean, I've never cried like it before. You know, tears coming down my face. So it was relief,
1: all the frustration. Everything. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of the conscience of what you did as well. The yeah. The you round about yeah, you, Because I, you're back in reality again. Yeah. You're not out, in, out the bubble where- well, I'd, I'd woken up a yeah. little bit. Not yeah, a lot. Yeah. I've been asleep all my life, haven't I? I've been yeah. asleep all my life. Yeah.
0: So I'd woken up and looked and thought, what have I done to myself? What have I done to my family? You know, what have I done to myself? Scars all over me through self-harm, you know, mental health and physical, everything. My legs were still bad, but there was still now hope. And that's what I got from rehab. That's all you need. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I see other people getting clean there and I made lots of friends there. I was sitting out of hospital at the time. So I come out of there, got a little, uh, went to the second stage of rehab, which is called a halfway house you know, but I'm sitting out of hospital having an operation, so my leg slowly, slowly got better. And then it was like, you know, make amends to to people that had armed. Oh. So I wrote a letter to my mum and, you know, and she she forgive me. And then obviously, you know, I had a girlfriend, um, Joanne, and I had a daughter with her years ago. And I always remember being with her years ago. And she put up with all my bullshit, bless her. She was a really hard-working, honest girl. And I lived with her and her mum years and years ago. And I remember years ago, she took me back. And I'd always like relapse and getting back at it. And in the time she took me back when I was clean, I got her pregnant. And uh, and I remember um, when she was about five months pregnant, I'd relapsed. I went out one day, got on it. And she phoned me up the following day, like crying. What's happened? Where are you? I can't get hold of you and all that. I said, listen, I'm back on the gear. She said, what do you mean you're back on the gear? I said, look, I'm back on the She said, well, what about me, baby? And that? I said, look, I don't, I don't know, I don't care, get rid of it, I don't know. And in the end, I couldn't deal with what. Yeah, I put blocked her. I can't deal with that. Back on this every day, this yeah. shit. Anyway, eventually, you know, a few months later, I was back in jail, doing a sentence, lying on my bed with a letter come under the door, So she chucked letters under the door then. I opened it, read it, and it was from it was from Joanne. She found out I was in prison, found all the jails bless her. And she went, well, Can I come and visit you? I'm still pregnant. <laughs> And she goes, I'll give birth in two weeks. And that's, you know, I was in jail, I was cleaning jail, so she managed to book up a visit, phone up, and then two days later, it was a really hot summer's day, i never forget, I'm in Pentonville, and it took me from my cell to the visiting hall, and I'm all excited to see her, and they let her in, and it's a great big visiting hall in Pentonville, seats about 100 people, and she's come walking in, she lit the room up. She looked absolutely beautiful. I remember she's dressed in white from top to bottom, she had this white dungarees, white T-shirt, these white sliders on, this long, blonde, curly hair, I remember she was like big and fat, a like pregnant fat. <laughs> and, she's come, and she's come walking up to me and I looked and it was like this angel, you know, this girl that I'd fallen in love with years ago with my baby in her belly. Mm-hmm. It took her two and a half hours to get to the jail. And I think she was so exhausted. She sat down and you know, we had to get her a drink and, she, you know, she's about to give birth, 10 days away. And for an hour, that visit I had with her, she cried. And she literally begged me, you know, she to beg me. How dare she beg me? I should be begging her, you know? And she come all that way with a little bit of hope. And I had a week left to serve, so I knew I was gonna be out for the birth. And she said, look, when you get out, will you move in with me, promise? You know, get a job, promise? Never take a again, promise? You know, and I think I asked her to marry me, you know, once the baby's born, she said, yeah. And uh, and she left. And as she walks off, I give his big hug, and it was like, you know, I went back to my cellmate, and I said, you know what? I can't wait to get out of jail next week. You know, I'm gonna be a dad, I'm getting married. And a week later, they released me. Now, when you get let go from jail, they take you down to a reception. They give you back your bit of property. They give you a little envelope with 60 pound cash in it. They call it a discharge grant. So I thought, this is what I'm gonna do. Leave the jail, go to a flat, drop me a bit of clobber off, get a job scaffolding or something, you know, a bit of building work. The little bit of dough the prison gave me, I give it to her for the baby because she was living by herself, she had no money, so for milk and nappies. Anyway, on the way out of the prison gate, I got released with six other prisoners. And uh, I knew one of them really well. He was a crackhead. I'd used him with him before, so I got talking to him right at the prison gate. Within ten minutes, I'm in an off licence, a couple of cans of beer, an hour later, I'm in a crack then. and I uh, I never turned up. Mm-hmm. I never see my girlfriend again, and that is how powerful this shit is. Yeah,
1: you
0: know, this this stuff that's killing people every day of the week, ruined my life completely. Because that can't stop me, you know. Nothing will. my first love. Yeah. Sitting opposite me, next to me in the prison, in the visiting hall, crying, begging me, with "My daughter in her belly about to give birth," and I'm sitting there clean and sober, and I'm promising her, looking her in the eye, "I'm going to get out and sort my life out." And then within an hour, being out of the prison gate, I'm back in the crack den, injecting into my groin. That shows you how powerful that, that this 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 stuff is. And you know, I never see her again. And um, I've worked out that. Over the years, when my daughter got to about five, Joanne met someone else. She met a man, married him, and, uh, and I found out he brought my daughter up. You know, and today, I guess she calls him dad. Mm-hmm. Fair play to him, eh? Yeah. Fair play with the man. Done better than me, didn't he? Anyway, so, you know, she got brought another man. So I thought, I'll live with that. So anyway, eventually I moved back to, I left my rehab eight years ago, went back to Essex. Romford where I was brought up. So, you know, my family were there. You know, I won't see my family much, but you know, all the, the environment I brought up in, I'm back in now.
1: Yeah.
0: And I had this idea, I was gonna go around still to school and share my experience. Because I see what was going on in the street, you see. I see all this gang stuff, you know, it was, it was getting worse. I see all this knife crime was getting worse. I see all the drugs and alcohol was getting worse. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I could maybe help a few kids and share my story. So I got in touch with my local council and they got me to invite to this little youth club, a place called Rainham Royals Youth Club. And I remember it was on a summer's night about eight, nine years ago. So I've turned up and he's gone, all Right, put your gear down, everyone. Stop playing pool. This guy's coming to you a story. And see all the kids looking at me thinking, who's this guy? You know, it's flare time and it? it's not school. So I spoke to eight kids and I told them a little bit of a story and I showed them my scars and that, you know. And anyway, um, I left there and uh, I thought, that's pretty cool, you know. Anyway, the, three days later, the council contacted me and said, oh, look, one of them kids went back to their school and spoke to their head teacher. And the head wants to know if you can come and speak to his year group, year nine, two hundred and fifty kids. I went, What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was sitting there struggling to eight, yeah. yeah. I thought, fucking two hundred and fifty yeah. kids in a hole. And I went, All right, I'll do it. So I turned up to the school, done two fifty, the headmaster was so pleased with it, he went, Can you come do the whole school? So I said, yeah, I'll do it. You know, and uh and that's what I done for three years. Didn't, didn't get paid for it. Just kept turning up with these schools, you know. And uh, I was yeah. on benefits telling at the time, nice story. telling the story. But I was getting great feedback, you know, through via social media, and other schools are hearing about it. Then, believe it or not, you know, the police, you know, come on board and and give me a bit of work. And a few football clubs, QPR, you know, come along and said you can come do some work for us. So I, I saved a little bit of money, and I, and, and 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 I, and I, and I built a uh, I built a website. And I remember I had just this website, Paul Anna for Drug Awareness, and that was it. And I had this little logo, London Fire Brigade, I was working with them, QPR Football Club, like these brands I was working with, yeah? And it was great. And I started, you know, I signed off, I went on benefits anymore, I started to pay my way in life, you know? And I was, and I was getting an honest living.
1: Yeah, so was that like therapy for you also, Paul, telling yeah, your stories Yeah, I think because, so. And releasing a lot of emotion? I,
0: I, 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 I think that, that, that when you look back, at the boys I hanged about with his kids... You know, they they didn't make it. I tell you for why. There was a few that got severe mental health, severe, drug related, yeah? You know, and I still see them walking around sometimes on the crack and that. They're, they're done, they're finished, man. They're, they're, there's no hope for them. You know, they're, they're I see them, they got rotten teeth and they were good looking kids when they were young. They were good footballers, you know? There's a few died, you know, been to funerals. And there's uh, one in jail still. You end up stabbing a man in a pub, half the gang life. Nothing to do with gangs. But years later, that gang mentality, you see, mm-hmm. he's still in jail. And I guess I'm the only one that's really come out and, and
1: done something. Yeah. Like, Try to use your your past experience as a positive.
0: Well, look, I sit here in front of you, right? you feel right, blessed, Paul? Yeah. Do you know what? I'm grateful. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell it you what, me, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, and I appreciate everything. Because that's the problem in the world, see, people are really ungrateful and they appreciate nothing. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not obsessed. You know, I've seen some of your posts on social media, the way you talk, and it's that same th- mindset as mine. You know, we have to be grateful. It's nice to have nice things, but that made them important, yeah? yeah? You know, the way I treat others is important. I've got a tattoo on my arm, all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a love art here. And it says three things on it. Love all, trust a few, don't harm anyone. You know, it took me a long time, because I'm in recovery, and it took me a long time to understand that. You know, if I can go through my day to day, I don't drink or take drugs, it's okay. Yeah, what other people do is none of my business. If I don't harm anyone today, it's fine. I pay all my taxes, I pay all my bills. Any money left, I go on holiday. You know, I like travelling and, yeah. you know, other side of the world, mm-hmm. meeting like monks and spiritual people, you know. Yeah. But I didn't get off lightly, you see, because you say I look healthy. All oh, right, I had my teeth, these are my own teeth, but I had some of them cleaned and that and all that, and cried the best teeth when I was a kid. You know, I've shared needles in crack dens. I reckon I have shared needles in crack, when I don't mean share, take a needle off someone else, I mean like being in the crack den and there being be needles everywhere and I forgot what's one's mine, so you know what, I do <laughs> I pick up someone else's and use it. Not once or twice, five, 600 times. Anyway, eventually, um, me legs healed up, but it didn't heal completely. Now, obviously, if I show you, this is a, this was only a few years ago, it's got better. This was my left leg. Um, Let's have a look, all the blood's coming out of it. It's here somewhere. Yeah, this was my left leg up until about two years ago. It was still, um, it was still out, yeah, look, there it is. there. I was in the shower and it burst mm-hmm. open. Look, it pull? Yeah. yeah, I'll show you now, look, see See my leg here? It's weeping now, you yeah. see that? You're still look all yeah, scarred yeah, up. Yeah. This one here eventually healed. So you're still getting out. fluid from it. Yeah, look, this one here is all dry and swollen. It swells up. The longer I'm on it, the more it swells up. Yeah. I I finally took my life out. You know, I I, I live decent. I pay my taxes, I pay all my bills, you know, I I live like this human being you know, like I should have as a kid. Mm-hmm. So in theory, you know, I, I I'm Extremely grateful. I have to be careful, my legs still, you know, if I bleed out because I'm a morphine, which yeah. is a blood thinner. So if I have an accident or cut myself and it, it goes bleed to death, I bleed to death. Yeah, I've got to be careful. I'm okay, i go down must take care of myself. But anyway, as you know, I go in schools now. Yeah. And I had this idea, uh, what was it, uh, eight years ago. I said to someone, I'm going to educate a million kids. And I few people looked at me and, like, you know, frowned. A
1: wow. few, few laughed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay, but I think I'm now I'm up to about four hundred and the end of this year. It'd be five hundred thousand. half a million. Mate. Yeah, one man. Phenomenal? Yeah, and yeah. I got a lot of rejection at first, and I still get rejection today, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah? yeah, you know, people saying we don't want you in, and it's like, why? It's ain't about you. It's yeah. about your kids. Yeah. How do you, how does one man or woman who works with kids make a decision whether they get this or not? And we got carnage on our streets morning through and night, you know, over two and a half thousand deaths in Scotland last yeah, year from heroin. 27% rise in
1: Scotland. 27%. Right. Now we've got
0: memories, right? Let's, let's, let's in theory, yeah, right? Say 2,700 deaths last year, heroin related deaths in Scotland, all adults. When they were 10, they weren't taking heroin. So could we have spoke to them when they were 10 and talked about drugs mm-hmm. and changed some of their lives. And I guarantee you, if you give all 2,700 of them people educationally young, that 2,700 will be less, mm-hmm. yeah? So how many more people are gonna die from drugs if we don't educate them young enough? How many more kids are gonna kill each other with knives if we don't educate them young enough? So, you know...
1: All you need to do is see a couple of your photos. Well, look, your you, if, you, if
0: you look the amount of work I do, I guess, and you want to measure the work I do, because if, you know, if you want to see what the effort and the impact I have, just look on social media, mm. you know, the Instagram or Twitter, my wherever else I go on, there's thousands, tens of thousands of messages there from kids. Yeah, so I have no magic wand. I don't turn up, no expectation. Anyway, as you know, I go to schools. Five years ago, I got an email from a school called Sacred Heart in Essex, Brentwood. No, sorry, Brentwood, i mean, sir. And the head teacher went, can you come to our school next week? We've got our, uh, we're in a workshop, we're year 10. And I found out what school it was. It was my daughter's school,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Ria's. Her head teacher didn't know I was her dad. We've got different different second names. She didn't have no clue. Anyway, so cut long story short, I, um, I thought I'd better let Joanne know her mum. But I didn't have her number. So I went on Facebook, I got a friend of friends to get it and I phoned her up. I went, Joanne, it's Paul. She went, what do you want? Where'd you get my number? So I got a Facebook. She went, why are you calling me? I said, i go to Ria's school. I said, you want to keep her off? You might want to speak to her. I've got to speak to her year group. And she went, listen to me, the day you're going to her school, she ain't going to be there. She's at another school called Cooper's just down the road doing a work experience course. So otherwise I might have considered it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought it my luck. So I turned up my daughter's school, done a big assembly, year 10s, walked out the gate to go home, got down the road about 100 metres away. I looked up and bang, there she was. My daughter, she must have come back for lunch. Let me tell you something, I speak to tens of thousands of kids every year. I ain't scared of kids. This, my daughter coming towards me, Everything just went, stopped around me and she got closer and closer. And I'll tell you what, I was terrified. My heart was beating, I was scared of rejection. What did I say to her? And I walked up and I put my hand out and I said, Ria? And she looked, she went, yeah. I said, "I'm Paul, I'm your dad. And she gave me this hug. (laughs) And she's standing there looking at me, she's a bit taller than me, she's beautiful. And I'm thinking, it was like looking at myself and I thought, you know, and what we spoke about, I can't remember, I was just in awe. Mm -hmm. of this little girl this 15 year old talking to me my daughter that little girl that was once in my ex's belly and she walked off and that was the best day of my life yeah that was the best day I was never I've never been I'm grateful for everything but to talk to her and I was on such a high a rush time. It gave me the best high I ever, mm-hmm. ever had in my life. And I wrote her a letter and I can't read and write properly. And it took me hours to write this letter because I left school when I was young. So I had to Google some of the words, copy the spelling. <laughs> and I was done it. It was a big men's letter mm-hmm. to her and her mum, to her really. Yeah. But I said, it, I'm really sorry what I did to you and your mum. You know, I had a problem with yeah. drugs. I'm off them now, I'm clean, I'm sober. Mm-hmm. And you know what, I would love to see you again. Mm-hmm. So after the big long letter at the bottom I put PS and actually I put love dad you know and I put a big kiss and I actually put my address on there and my phone number I said text to me or write to me we go out together and I posted it and now I've got an obsession with the postman two three days yeah, he's coming like nervous. a dog now yeah. and I'm checking my every time my phone goes I'm thinking is it her and after a week it wasn't and I started to lose a little bit of hope after a week and I thought oh no I'll do you know one last straw i try it I'll send a friend request on Facebook no reply and eventually uh, uh, two weeks went by it was nothing and I thought you know what she's read my letter by now she's seen my friend request and uh she decided she didn't want to see me. And if I'm honest, you know, I have to look back and why would she? Yeah. You know, she's got a dad now Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and I chose that. So you know, I guess, you know, life had to go on. But next day, my phone rang and it was Joanne, her mum. And she went, you're right, Paul? I went, yeah, what's wrong? She went, don't worry, nothing's wrong. We just got back from holiday. We've been away for a couple of weeks. And she goes, Ria's read your letter this morning. Do you want to take her out? And I was like, I emotional think. yeah it was like really you know like my, i will just come i'm buzzing uh-huh. i said yeah you know what i'd love to that's
1: amazing
0: and i picked i picked her up a week later and then uh i took her for a cheeky nando's <laughs> <laughs> and now i'll show you a picture of me in a minute yeah. i put a picture she's on my instagram
1: and uh and i see all the time There, that's amazing brother you should be proud of yourself to- because even the method of thinking if you if we don't hear from somebody for two weeks, we get low self-esteem, low yeah. confidence, insecure. Yeah. The madness starts thinking yeah, back. That's that me- maybe that's an excuse to go start dabbling again. Yeah. Nobody loves me. Yeah. Um, but you've I, was gonna, I was
0: I wasn't going to use on that, but I was just. It was just like I had to look that. You know, any addict, anyone who gets you know heavily involved with drugs and becomes an addict, there is a consequence. There is an amends to make to people, and I made amends to as many people as possible. But you know, my daughter. Yeah. I know mum was good enough
1: to let me see her. I think that's one of the reasons why it kept you. It gave you an initiative to keep straight. You've got to do it for yourself, but in the back of your mind, I'm going to get myself in a great place so I can see my daughter again.
0: I actually wake up spiritually, didn't I? Yeah. You know, all my life I've been dead, haven't I? I've been asleep. Yeah, sleeping. People yeah. walk around asleep without taking drugs, you yeah. know? So my job is today to wake these
1: kids up. But if you never went through all the stuff you went through, Paul, you yeah. weren't able to save the thousands of lives that you've done. Oh, doing. no. Do you know
0: what's a reason. There's a reason, so there's there's a reason why I sit here. Well, yeah. There's a reason why I sit here with stab wounds all over me, holes in my legs, you know, all them all them pictures you know i wasn't just a drug addict you know i've been in prison i've been involved with gun crime knife crime i was a raving alcoholic i had mental health so anything that's totally relevant to kids today i guess i've quite a bit 23 years of experience you know it's a long apprenticeship yeah you know it's, it's i've it's got hard. i've got a lot to to, to, to give yeah. to these kids to say to them come on you know you have got a choice yeah. and you know and i know through the platforms and the work i do and the thousands of kids i speak to it's all on it's all on social yeah. media it's there so, you know, as I say, I'm in mean, a school tomorrow with Reading Football Club. There's an no expectation, you know, and with other football clubs next week and in schools next week. If I educate this year 80,000 children this year for 2020 and I stop a dozen from ending up on this shit, stabbing someone to death with a knife or becoming an alcoholic, that's 12 people that belong to somebody. Yeah. I'm hoping to change more. Yeah. But you know, I can't change
1: every young mind. Yeah, it's a phenomenal thing that you're doing, Paul. You Thank should You should be very proud. I take my you. heart off to you, brother. That's all right. Nothing but respect for you. Thanks for inviting me. For yeah. anybody that's in the struggle just now, too scared to maybe come forward, too ashamed or too embarrassed. For anybody that's really want I believe if you've got addiction problems every day you want to try and change. You try and change even though you want to get your first hit or you want to yeah. whatever it is you're addicted to. Deep inside you want to change, but it is, it's a difficult thing. For anybody that's in the struggle just now, what advice would you give for them? Look,
0: look, that day I walked into that police station, I knew there was two things there, right? I had a bit of faith and there was hope, but I had to walk in to that police station. And we're not saying every an addiction problem, they're talking to a police station, but there are treatment centres. There are places that you can go and get help, programmes, yeah? But you has got to ask. Now, a lot of people don't want to ask because obviously they feel ashamed, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you're not alone. And that's what I worked out now. And I've got friends in recovery and I meet up with them often, two or three times a week. You know, I go to these certain places, these certain meetings I go to with other people with similar problems to me and they've got that identification. And they give me hope because when I first walked into these places and I heard stories of people being clean five, six years and I was a day clean, I used to think, oh, you ain't used that long. So then, all day now, these, 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 these newcomers are coming into these places where I go, yeah, and I'm telling them I haven't used it for 13 years, you know, it's attractive. Mm-hmm. And they go, hey, What did you do then? Well, I started working some sort of program, yeah, and I started hanging about with people that are like minded and loving and caring that weren't going to judge me. And there's lots of people out there that are helping, yeah, but you've got to pluck the courage up. And addiction's hard, you know, you have to get a certain rock bottom, yeah, yeah? and like many rock bottoms. You know, like, you know, many times I try to kill myself, my legs, all that stuff. You know, I shouldn't be alive. I mean, a doctor once said to me, "You're alive it's incredible." You know, you shouldn't not be alive. And I never caught anything. I was really lucky. You know, I didn't catch HIV or hepatitis. I don't know how. she had needles all them years. So I'm trying to say, if there's someone out there struggling with alcohol problem, drug problem, you know, there's help. But you've got to ask for it, and you've got a little bit of faith. You know, it won't be easy at first, but it will, trust me, in the long run, it'll be worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, I meet loads of people who get sober, hundreds. I meet hundreds of people get clean I was at a convention in Spain uh, in November I got invited to a talk out there a thousand alcoholics turned up <laughs> this hotel mm-hmm. you know it's great yeah, it's
1: amazing love yeah yeah. we it's love each amazing. other yeah. for what you do brother honestly it's, it's an amazing look, like, you know, as I said it's only start. Yeah. thank you
0: and hopefully you know yeah. someone might watch his podcast as I said someone might watch his podcast and they might look at it and go you know, and then refer them, you know, to, 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 to videos I've got, you just my website. Yeah. What's the
1: name of your website, Paul? We'll a, leave all the links in the yeah, description of um, our social
0: media and website. It's dot Yeah. Uh, and through that, is links to all my social if media platforms. This, maybe
1: you want to come forward and ask Listen, for help. Do you know
0: what? I get loads. Of, in fact, I go and speak to some kids in schools, mm-hmm. and they go and talk to their mum and dad about it. And now a dad or their mum have got a bit of an issue, or a friend has got an issue, a friend of a friend, and they contact me. I meet them. Mm-hmm. I meet loads of adults. I don't just yeah. talk to 10,000 of kids every year. And you know, I, giving is great. Yeah,
1: you know, if I can help someone, what, what a wonderful thing! Yeah, it's amazing, brother. And thanks, thanks for the same, invite. Thanks for coming on today. Think, That's all think, right. Thank you. You're an amazing man, and what you do is That's well, right. Thank you. going, brother. That's right. love you. Yeah, great you can also watch my podcast on my YouTube channel the link is in the bio if you'd like to subscribe you can follow me on my social media platforms to see who my next guest is follow me on Facebook at James English 11 Twitter James English 0 Instagram James English 2 you can also download these podcasts on iTunes or Spotify Sports Social Podcast Network